You're listening to Alcoholics Alive, where recovered members of Alcoholics Anonymous share their experience on how they live AA as a way of life. None of our participants get paid or speak for AA. Here are your hosts, Shank and Wayne. Well, we're about to end season one, and we are looking for suggestions for topics for season two. So if you're out there listening and you've got ideas or suggestions on topics that Shank and Wayne can cover in season two, please email them to us at freedom at alcoholicsalive.com. We'll be interested to see those topics, and if if we like them, we'll use them. If we don't, we'll probably scrap them. Uh, (laughs) Hey, the other thing we need to mention before we get to our wonderful guest is that um, on last week's episode with Tony, we were unable to make a decision on the saying, the time to call your sponsor is before you take a drink, not after. So Tony wanted to keep it because he had some personal experience with it. And, uh, Shank and Wayne were kind of on the fence with it. So we uh, have put that out to the listeners. We appreciate all the feedback and comments we've already gotten back, but uh, we need you to vote on whether to keep the time to call your sponsors before you take a drink, not after. So reply to us on Instagram or email, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, (laughs) uh, on whether you want to keep or uh, scrap that one. Hey, let's get to our guest. We've got a wonderful guest today. She uh, comes all the way from the state of Maryland. Joyce, how are you? Good. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about yourself. So my sprite date's April 24th, 2005. I have a sponsor in a home group. Um, came to Alcoholics Anonymous uh, first in 2004. Um, first started drinking when I was about 10 years old. I was born and raised in Jersey and um, like most of us, I mean, it was a wild ride of um, unfortunate circumstances, trying to control and enjoy my drinking and really suffering a severe spiritual malady that I've come to understand today and trying to outrun it, you know, with alcohol, with chaos, with destruction and uh, landed me in Alcoholics Anonymous, so hopefully for good. And in, in 2005, my last drunk was in my father's wedding. Um Oh. And I got drunk off of uh, some Jack and Cokes and some Jack Daniels. And that was um, my last drunk. Nowhere near my worst, but, you know, hopefully my last. I just know by the time that I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, I was tired, exhausted, broken, you know, and out of uh, plans and designs. I had, ex- you know, exhausted every human being in my life, every um you know, plan of trying to control the amount that I could take, taking other substances, you know, religion, self-help books, Tony Robbins. I mean, um, all sorts of nice. human resources that had failed me. So, um, you know, by the time I got to AA, I was, I was out of options and felt pretty empty and hopeless, which, uh, you know, from my understanding is the best way to get here because I was willing. So that's kind of, um, you know, how I ended up in Alcoholics Anonymous. Well, self-help and Tony Robbins, man, I love that. That, that uh, <laughs> it, it, it never helped me. I, I, I was into Jimmy Swaggart and uh, self-help, but that never helped me either. 
You had a good last drink though, Jack and Coke. That's not. That's yeah, not I was. You know, I lucked out. I was. I had access. I came from a family of drunks, and my dad was a big collector of bottles. So I drank good liquor throughout my drinking. You know, Johnny Walker Black Label. I mean, I was wow. bottom shelf stuff. So I, I lucked out in that sense. <laughs> nice. Very nice. Very nice. All right, Shank. Tell us. Uh, describe uh, our topic a, a little bit for us. Well, this is episode 13. You know, there's not a 13th step. May, according to some, there is. Uh, I guess <laughs> it depends here, on your program. Uh, episode 13, we decided to just kind of do the steps we took. So just kind of a wrap up. We wanted to have a guest that had experience with all the steps, with having a spiritual experience uh, and who helped others. So this is just a wrap up of all of the steps. And we're going to have... Joyce just share with us um, her experience with all of the steps. Yeah. Okay, cool. So let's, uh, well, Joyce, so share your experience on like the first three steps first. All right. You know, and I, I'm going to try to do this because I've always found it useful how I was introduced and first took the steps and then how I try to practice these steps today. Um, you know, for yep. all listeners of new or maybe of longer term sobriety, you know, my first step, uh, the first time around, I did have my sponsor, it did have me write out my first sponsor had me write out my story and, and look at my drinking. And I had done that exercise in, in substance abuse counseling and therapy, and it never really registered. You know, I always knew that I drank a lot and that was not, it didn't really resonate with me. You know, what resonated with me with a first step in my powerlessness was staying sober for an extended period of time with no solution and feeling that spiritual malady, that restless, irritable discontentedness, feeling that obsession to drink, that compulsion to drink on me. Um, that is what really surrendered me to the powerlessness and my unmanageability, you know, because here I was, um, with alcohol removed and really unable to function. I mean, I was like a hysterical crybaby that like, I mean, the sensitivities were like off the chart, you know, and, um, and being left with myself really humbled me. And that's really what I, when we talk about fully conceding to our innermost self, I mean, that's what did it. It wasn't so much so writing my story and, and identifying with the amount that I drank, but it's how I felt dead sober, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And with regards to a second step, you know, I came into uh, Alcoholics Anonymous really angry at God. I grew up Roman Catholic, devout Roman Catholic. I had tried to become a Franciscan nun at one point. I mean, I knew scripture. Nice. I knew hymns, <laughs> you know, my family was very active in the church. So I knew uh, what God was and wasn't, but I was really resentful and angry and felt betrayed. You know, um, what kind of God does this to a child losing my mother, having like, you know, just my, my, all my victimizations that I had really, um, really indoctrinated, really, um, you know, I just had so many victim cards that I played. So with a second step, it was hard. It was hard for me to come to pray and to come to believe immediately in a higher power. I mean, um, I was willing to believe first and really at my sponsor, you know, my sponsor was my first higher power. And then the group became my higher power. And eventually, you know, I came to believe in something personal to me and began to experience um, developing, fostering, seeking that relationship that we'll talk later, you know, and my, the first piece of literature that of the big book, the pages of the big book that I identified with were 60 to 63, you know, 
on the actor running the show. So with regards to the third step, I mean, I just felt like it had my number. You know, I mean, it was the first piece of the book that I was shocked that this was everyone. You know, I really thought that this was unique to me, that this was my game to manipulate people and to perform and be sweet, kind, cute, or to be a bitch, you know, and to be <laughs> tough or to be combative that um, any which way trying to still get what I want, trying to still um, get people to, to treat me the way that I wanted or needed or thought that I had to have. So, you know, the quit playing God and trying to arrange life to suit myself, you know, that really my first third step was something or my first, the first time I said a third step prayer, I was part of this um, very small um, almost a dictator like dictatorship like a group in, in Jersey. And nice. it was like intense, but it was what I needed at the time. <laughs> and they had us, you know, circle up old school style and all hit our knees on the beach and uh, say the third step prayer. And it was profound, you know, but my 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 the, the man that would become my sponsor for the first seven years of my sobriety said, if you think that's when you took your third step and you haven't taken one yet, you know, and that I came to understand that it was much more than just saying the prayer that I needed to take actions, you know, that if I really was asking God to take my will that I needed to follow through with the rest of the steps. So um, that's how I first took it. And today, you know, steps one, two, and three, I mean, I feel like the last couple of years with COVID and with the, you know, paradigm shift in AA, it feels like I have definitely resurrendered to the realities of my alcoholism. You know, I think I was really insulated for the first really 15 years of my sobriety, you know, where I felt it, I felt so far removed or just really cocooned into a group and people and that type of power that I didn't really have an appreciation for the cunning bafflingness of alcoholism until we stopped going to meetings, you know, and I saw and felt and, you know, could really see my the other path that I could drink again. Like, I mean that, you know, like, and really having a, a humility with that, that I, I can and will drink again if I stop doing this. Um, so, you know, I think one, two, and three for me today is staying on this path and staying surrendered into the fatal, you know, nature of this illness, because what I've found is the longer that I've stayed sober, the harder it is to stay in that sense of surrender. Mm -hmm. Did you, so did you stay sober ever since you took the, the group third step on the beach? I did. I did. Been sober ever since. I yeah. have. Yeah. What about, um, well, it must've worked then. Um, <laughs> yes. I think in conjunction with a lot, a lot of actions, everyone yeah. else, I think uh, on that beach did not stay sober mm -hmm. except for maybe one person. Mm -hmm. How about that? So I guess what the willingness and what's inside is, is more important than the actual technique or the, the, the location or even right. who you take it with. Mm -hmm. Shank took her first third step with a meth head. <laughs> that had recently been using it and didn't even realize it. I had no idea. I, I think one thing we wanted to, to talk about was the sanity that it talks about in the second step, or I guess the insanity that it's talking about in the book um, and kind of what that means. Um, yeah. You know, I had a lot of misunderstandings because I do feel like I can be certifiably insane, you know, and um, that's yep. not everybody's experience where they don't feel like they are emotionally as unstable. They're pretty some well-adjusted alcoholics out there. I don't relate to them, but they're out there, you know, <laughs> and, um, I definitely 
relate to insanity on all levels, but the insanity that they're talking about is the insanity that precedes the first drink, you know, that that's right. something that I could definitely reconcile with my own experience is that regardless of how much evidence I had that I should not pick up a drink, that it was not going to be different this time. Um, the insanity was that my mind would justify, rationalize and come up with another scenario, how it could be different, how it was someone else's fault, how it was never the drinking. And, um, you know, that insanity that precedes the first drink is, is pretty unique to what I have found to alcoholics like me, um, because even now, even eight, almost 18 years sober, you know, my mind can still play tricks on me about, you know, maybe it'll be different this time. Maybe I was just young and dumb and damaged, you know, and now I'm all grown up yeah. with a spiritual solution. And, you know, maybe it'll, it'll be different. And so I know that, that if I drink again, you know, what I'm told, what I've been told is that that's what it is. It's the insanity returning. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's, um, you want to move on to four and five? Appreciate sure. Appreciate your, uh, yeah. Tell us about your four and five experience. Um, the first time I took a fourth and fifth step was within my first um, 90 days. I, like I said, when I got sober, I was under a lot of um, insanity. I mean, I was hysterical. I was suicidal. I was under a lot of compulsion to drink. So uh, my sponsor at the time really kind of worked me through the steps, you know, it was like, it was not, I mean, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that I had a sponsor that didn't have me sit on it or wait, that they knew that I needed to expel some of this from my spirit. And I did the best, you know, most honest fourth step that I was capable of that time, which was not very honest. You know, I left a lot of things off. I exaggerated a lot of things, you know, I just thought that, especially with sex <laughs> conduct, I don't know why I thought that, you know, just how I always was. I mean, I could barely distinguish the true from the false with all the stories and lies that I told and all my different personalities. I mean, it was just, it's it taken me a long time in sobriety to be real, you know? Um, and so I did my best attempt and it was, it was a powerful experience. I mean, it took me, I think a full eight hours to read that four step. I mean, it's funny because I thought that I was not a resentful person. I wasn't a petty person in my mind. I was someone who got along with everyone who could just roll with the punches. And then when I put pen to paper, I mean, it was unbelievable the names that began to erupt from my psyche. You know, I mean, people from kindergarten that like had hurt my feelings. I mean, there was so much <laughs> resentment that started bubbling up. I mean, really yeah. everyone who had come into contact with in some way failed me, you know, hurt me, let me down. And um, so I was a big victim and still can be today. You know, I mean, I definitely, um, so I wrote that out in every human being and, um, you know, my sponsor helped me see the truth about me. And it was the first example of swallowing those pieces of truth that I'm not a nice girl that drank too much, that, um, you know, that I was selfish and self-centered, that I was manipulative, that I was a liar, that I would take it. I was a bully. Um, I would take advantage of people and really starting to see these patterns in myself. And, you know, I joke, I mean, it took me eight hours and I probably had over 200 names on that four step, but I could have boiled it down to like, you know, four categories, you know, women <laughs> right. that I didn't like that I felt threatened of men that I was in love with that didn't love, you know, loved me back, you know, parental and authority figures that I felt like should protect me that couldn't protect me. And then miscellaneous people that I just came into contact that, you know, I was in my head and felt insecure about and they weren't validating my ego. So, you know, like, you know, multiply that 
dozens and dozen times over, and that was my life. And the first time reading that to someone was a freeing experience because there was no judgment. And I had a lot of shame of things that I had done, things that had happened to me that I'd never shared with anyone. So it was the first time in my life that I could be honest, you know, that I, as, as honest as I could be, like I said. I mean, and since then I've taken, I mean, multiple large inventories, call them 10 steps, but, you know, really in the spirit of, of four and five of these, these house cleanings, you know, I mean, I just took one in the past year and it's always a eye-opening experience because I try to outrun this. I try to ignore it. And um, my experience shows me that if I don't shed light on it, it grows and manifests into all areas of my life, you know, and it's really um, this process does something for me when I can see that, you know, when I'm wrong, it's something in me that's disturbed and it's usually not the other person. So, um, you know, definitely the, the catalyst for the rest of the steps was that pivotal change and that I can't change anyone else that it's it's really um I'm the problem yeah you um I appreciate people that have a good memory like that that can remember all those resentments from kindergarten and uh, <laughs> oh I took out yearbooks I, and things I like really <laughs> nice. research yeah got the discovery that, going I like it oh uh, that is nice that is nice did uh, so when you did the fifth step, did you have uh, an experience of of like being free or you know that how'd that feel? Honestly, you know, because I know the fifth step promises talk about all this freedom, and at first I felt that wasn't immediate for me. You know, I mean, yeah. afterwards I I did sleep that night, and I was have, was really having trouble sleeping, but I think it was just from being so exhausted from reading it and being emotional, but. And I, and I was, I was filled with a lot of shame. You know, I was filled with a lot of disgust of myself that this is the truth about me. Um, so I didn't feel that immediate freedom or cleanse, you know, cleanliness um, instantaneously that came with time, you know, and, and in hindsight, I could see that after taking that fifth step, I began to feel more a part of part of my group. I could feel closer to my sponsor. And it was a starting point that my sponsor knew all of me you know, and really could see the patterns and designs within my character and my personality and my defects that it became more efficient in, you know, really trying to seek the truth in our day-to-day -day conversations. Yeah. Yeah. I think sometimes. How well, long was your first fourth and fifth step? My first one was, um, I don't remember how long the actual fourth step was. I, I've probably made comments about how long I thought it was, but I don't remember. I know my, f the, f the fifth step was, um, it was a couple of hours. It was, yeah, two to three hours. Um, but I swear I didn't, I couldn't remember anything. I, I, I mean, I didn't <laughs> even, I don't even think I knew 30 people in my whole life. Now I know that's probably an exaggeration, but I, um, the resentment list was, was, I guess, compared to many other people that I've helped and have listened to, it was probably small. It was mostly family and friends and uh, some institutions. Um, but it got, I got, I'm, I've, I've been sober ever since. But I think one thing that we, we've kind of brought up is those promises in the big book, they're like so definite and powerful 
I think a lot of AA members, when they don't feel that, they think they've done something wrong. I've probably been guilty of actually telling people, if you don't feel that, maybe you weren't thorough. <laughs> but I, I know now that was, that was a, that was flawed and probably shouldn't have been said because there's lots of people that have given a fifth step and they don't feel exactly the way the book says. And that mean they didn't do a thorough job or that it wasn't sufficient to keep them moving forward. Now, Shank, were you in prison when you did your first fifth step? I can't remember. I did. Uh, was it pe have... piecemeal? Wasn't it? Yeah, I did a four and five. I do remember the sponsor I had before going to prison. I was sober for like three months, two months in AA. And it was kind of more of like Joyce was talking about more of like my history, like my life, things that had happened. It wasn't like a true four and five, um, but it was enough. It was fine. When I got to prison, I had to start over, which I was very angry about. I was like, that's I've already got you were stuff. you were originally in that cult treatment center up in the Danagon. I was or Ashland or <laughs> Mountain. Say, oh, go ahead. Sorry, it was sorry, oh. County. Uh, yeah, but yeah. So when I start, the thing is, is uh, I really didn't remember every person that had I had ever crossed or who had crossed me. It was just very immediate, and I thought that I was just supposed to add people to this to this four step list every day. Like I still have that one from prison. My first sponsor like kept everything, everything that I wrote her. I have it in a file in my filing cabinet, but it was just like every day. It was like a different guard, a different, you know, bunky, a different person that I met in the prison that I was adding to it. And I felt very, I felt like I was really doing a thorough four step by adding people to it um, daily. Yeah. And because I didn't have the opportunity to talk to my sponsor every day or anyone really every day, it wasn't for a while before she was like, Hey, that's kind of like not the point here. Like you're not supposed to just get angry at people and then add them to the list and feel great about yourself. Cause I was like, Hey, I've been adding people. I mean, this one chick with the fan and then this other chick while I was working my job ticked me off. Um, so yeah, it was very piecemeal for me, four and five. But what I can tell you is I was encouraged. You know, people came to visit me at this maximum security prison, AA members, and you know, they helped me through it. They listened as a group, like I was a group project. And when I say that, this is what I mean. They came to visit me together and went through my fourth and fifth step with me by memory because I couldn't take it in there with me. And uh, I mean, they handed it to me. They were like, you, this is a lot. You know, like you're in here doing crazy stuff every day. And they encouraged me to do that fifth step with other women who were incarcerated. So uh, I can't tell you how long it took me or how many people were on there. Well, I could tell you how many people are on there. It was not extremely long. It sounds like it took a couple of years for you to get through all of it. <laughs> I mean, it probably took, I'd say, <laughs> two or three months. You know, I was yeah. I was kind of like on it trying to talk to people about um, different things that were on my fifth step. But I also got to the point where I did not care who I was talking to about it. Some people were not AA members, had no desire. They might've been, you know, high or drunk off a of toilet wine at that very moment, but they could relate in some way. And I got it done. Toilet wine. I, I've been sober ever since, you know, it was fine. All right. All right. 
Well, keep in mind those first five steps were we're trying to to create a new relationship with with our creator and discover things that are in our path from doing that. So Joyce, tell us a little bit about six and seven, unless you had some other comments on one through five. No, I mean, you know, that's what I was, um, it's a great transition, Jerry. And really the point of it was to see all these things that I did find objectionable. And uh, my sponsor first had me uh, write out, you know, looking at my inventory in that hour that I sat, my sponsor had me write out my defects and, you know, these, these character flaws or things that I found objectionable. And then had me write the opposite action, you know, and, and these little homework assignments were useful for me at the time to help me kind of comprehend and understand. I mean, in the big book, it's just so there, you know, other than the prayer, you know, I did the prayer that was prescribed in there. But, um, you know, I never and I used to complain that, you know, what else am I supposed to do? And I know that old timers would say if there was more to be done, you know, there'd be more written. And um, and really six and seven has been living it, you know, I mean, experiencing it in real time. And that's what that began to happen to me. I mean, shortly thereafter, I began to see who and what I was behaving like dead sober, you know, and that these things weren't just removed from me because I stopped drinking. These things were me, you know, dead sober. And that was a shocking discovery. I think in Alcoholics Anonymous and took, took years for that type of um, peeling of the onion, as they say, the different layers of my selfishness and dishonesty, you know, my manipulation, my uh, ego, and how it manifests itself in this spiritual realm here, you know, that, um, and that took like, really, I mean, from two years sober to honestly, I'd say 10 years, a real, and I'll talk about it more in steps 10, 11, and 12, but a real showing of myself, you know, and what my ego will do and given provided a, an arena you know, I mean, I really uh -huh. bastardized these spiritual principles to satisfy and fulfill me um, selfishly. And I missed the boat for a long time on what this was designed to do, which was move in and out of the way so I can really serve others. But I was really just serving myself. And, um, you know, I could act like a shiny AA member for during the meeting time. I could parade around people I was helping, but when no one was watching, I was lying, cheating, stealing at work, um, dishonest in my personal relationships, you know, totally utilizing service and sponsorship to just bolster my self-satisfaction and ego. I mean, and these were things that I could not see. I mean, people would try to call me out about what a service, you know, service hog or how my ego is out of control. And I just couldn't see it. I had so much self-righteousness, which is my default setting. You know, I'm right. Everybody yeah. else is wrong. I would go into meetings and just, you know, just with such indignation about how they were doing things or how they were sharing and just um, really, and that was just like, you know, a painful process because as you know, I mean, if I'm behaving that way and not in the spirit of these steps, um, there's really no growth. I just got sicker. And that's what I found, yeah. you know, by the time I was um, 10 years sober, I'm having panic attacks, dead sober. You know, I can't fall asleep at night, no matter how much I'm manically running around trying to be of service, I can't outrun myself. You know, uh, my relationships are suffering. My familial re relationships are suffering. And it took me some time to really begin to want to seek the truth and want God to take these things from me. You know, these things that in me, I, at first glance were not objectionable because they gave me power because they gave me comfort. So um, that's been a process. Service hog. <laughs> uh, I, I got to remember that one. I think that's yeah. a new one on me. I, I, I like that. 
Um, I might have to give Stephanie credit for that. I think she may have, you know, I mean, I just would like need to be in charge and yeah, just, you know, so against the spirit of inclusion, you know, it's just like all about me. Yeah. That's one of those terms. You immediately know what it means when you hear uh -huh. it. Like, yeah. You're like the like, service hog. Yes. <laughs> I, uh, one thing I was thinking when you were talking, I think me and Shank had talked about it. I found it, I did find it helpful actually in inventory in the fourth step to write out some ideals. I know that, that the book specifically says write out ideals in the sex inventory. And I think it's trying to, it says we're trying to shape a sane and sound ideal for, you know, our future sex life. Um, and I, I did that the book says to do it. I also found it helpful to write out ideals for other things like, you know, work or being or family and things like that. And I always kind of looked at those ideals as after I'd take six and seven, that's kind of the goal to live up towards is trying to, to live towards those ideals and asking God to help me um, live up to that. Did, um, did you take step six and seven, like immediately after the fifth step? I did. And I also, yeah. you know, thanks for bringing that up because my sponsor did have me do that to write out a sex ideal. Um, and later on when I had a little bit more sobriety, I think probably the next fourth and fifth step I, I took, um, I ended up writing an ideal for, you know, what kind of daughter that I wanted to be, what kind of employee that I wanted to be and, and things of that nature and trying to see what these principles look like in all those affairs, you know? Yeah. Um, but no, I took, a, I took it immediately um, thereafter. And like I said, I mean, um, in our, in our group, they used to have this expression step six, like she's getting ready, you know, like it was like a taunting, like a <laughs> warning. Oh, she's just getting ready. And, and, and then, you know, at the time I didn't really know what that meant, but now I do in hindsight is that, um, you know, left to my own devices, my defects and my, my self will, um, will be, you know, out, off the charts. Yeah. Yeah, we've got to have help. We can't do it on our own. If we could, we wouldn't be here. That's right. I wouldn't. If I could do it on my own, I wouldn't be wasting my time in AA meetings. <laughs> no, we'd be somewhere else, wouldn't we? Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's move on. Tell us uh, about eight and nine. Um, so, you know, I, I went right into steps eight and nine. My, my sponsor had me rewrite the list just because some of the people that I had on my list, I would not, you know, didn't even really know who I was. So there was no sense in, you know, some of right. when they talked about those harms being fancied or real, a lot of them were fancied. So I had to kind of restart my list and, um, you know, we ordered them by way of people that I absolutely did not want to make amends to and kind of prioritize them financially, direct amends, letter amends, you know, um, I made both a, a hard copy kind of paper list. And then my sponsor at the time had me actually put them on index cards so I could carry it with me at all time and help me remember who I owed amends to when I was going about in Jersey and things like that and remember what the direction was. So I made the list and my sponsor went through with me to each name and, and directed me how and what to say, you know, and um, some of those were transactional, like places I stole from, properties that I destructed, you know, um, I was like a belligerent drunk often. Um, so some of those I could take care of right away, shoplifting, you know, things of that nature. Um, the more difficult ones were the people that were still in my life, my family members primarily, you know, I mean, those were, 
incredibly difficult um, and took time. I mean, I tried to make, it took me three years before I could, three or four years before I could make direct amends to my father, you know? I mean, it was like needed to be predicated on years of sending letters, um, showing up. Um, I got specific instructions of how to show up in that relationship, you know, scheduled phone calls. I mean, it was very systematic of how to repair and, and demonstrate to them that I, I was changed. You know, um, I had to make a graveside amends to my mother. My mother died in the middle of my drinking. Um, so I had a lot of shame and guilt surrounding that and was instructed on a graveside amends and wrote a letter and, and read it and got a same deal. I mean, a list of instructions of what I needed to do to live right today. You know, um, I, there were women that I bullied and terrorized and who did not want to see me. You know, I have amends that I still have not been able to make. I've reached out, you know, multiple times, I think three or four times and finally got the instructions, just, you know, leave them alone. They don't want to see you. And, you know, yeah. I live with that. You know, some of the things that I've said, things, the threats that I've made, um, you know, I've sent out several letters, never heard back. And some people I didn't hear back or ran into, and I know that peace was made, but, um, you know, in the spirit of eight and nine, so much of what my sponsor impressed upon me was that I could have these conversations and that was good. And they were hard to have definitely, but what's harder is living differently. You know, that, that was part of the amends was that how am I going to um, be a different, the different version of Joyce and not resort back to those, those old behaviors. So um, likewise, I mean, just because I made direct amends when I was four, four years sober with my dad, doesn't mean that I haven't had to clean up messes I've made interactions and, and, you know, disputes that we've had throughout the years. Um, and I feel like with regards to the eighth and ninth step, I mean, the real freedom of no longer being a victim, you know, I mean, like it took me a long time, a lot of prayer, a lot of inventory, especially in my relationship with my dad, that, um, you know, that, he, that it wasn't his inventory to take. It was just mine, you know, that I had to set aside his part entirely. And, and it was my inventory to take. And that was a hard pill to swallow. It'd be difficult. You know? and, and I remember actually, Jerry, you told me um, because so much of my sobriety and so much of was just totally consumed by that relationship, by that resentment, by that amends. And it was like my, it was just, and you I remember you telling me that it didn't have to be, you know, that I, my entire sobriety does not need to be my father's story or my story with my father. And, um, and it's unbelievable as more time passes, the less and less it is, you know, and the less, you know, um, it doesn't need to dominate me the way that it used to. Yeah. Shank, you got any uh, experience in late none? I do. Um, you know, similar to what you're talking about, Joyce, I also, I just have this one, um, this talk I gave at a meeting and, I talked all about my mom and her alcoholism and her husband's and her craziness and how it affected my life. And very, very much like you could not have told me that I was the victim. Everyone came up to me after like, that was the best talk I've ever heard. Oh my God. And it was like 5% of me and my alcoholism. And I just remember that not too long after that talk, I was probably around the same four or five years sober. I, I hadn't talked to my mom at that point in years and I went and made amends to her. Um, I just, I knew, you know, similar to you, I had had a plan for my amends. 
Uh, and I called my mom and, you know, had an AA member drive me the six and a half hours to go make amends to her. And the first talk I gave after making amends to her, you know, and like cleaning that up and starting to be a daughter, even though she wasn't the mother that I thought I deserved or whatever the case may have been. I didn't talk about her at all. It was like, none of that existed, you know, and I really stopped playing the victim of, oh, my life sucks still like I'm an alcoholic, but it's probably still kind of her fault somehow. Um, you know, for me, I think probably the first amends that I started making was when I went to prison and, you know, I could have, I had an attorney and all of those kinds of things. And a lot of people really thought family members, other people really thought that I should try to get in front of a specific judge or get a different attorney or pay more money or do all of these things. And, you know, I really, I wanted to stay sober. I wanted to work the steps. I wanted to make this right, whatever that meant. And, um, so I just declined all of that. I was like, no, I just want to go and take care of this and do whatever I need to do and make it right with these people. Um, and so that's what I did. And a lot of people thought that I was really crazy for that. And quite honestly, I've questioned it over the years. Things could have been a lot different, maybe a lot simpler for me um, if I had kind of gone that route. But I do know that because I was willing to do that, my life has not, it hasn't been, I haven't gotten everything that I've ever wanted, but you know, I've learned a lot through that, that I can just immediately go and do things and it may impact me immediately. And I may not get everything that I want immediately, but cleaning things up is right for my spirit, you know, and it's right for my relationship with God. So, um, I, financial amends I've had to make, you know, and along the way, I think that that really played into my ideals. I'm so glad that I've had sponsors and I've had mentors along the way who have really helped encourage me um, financially because there were a few years where it was like, I, I take my coffee to the coffee before the meeting. I don't go out to eat or I have to humbly allow someone else to pay for my dinner, you know, because they want to do that. And they want to, I just, I hated that. Um, but I was able to get right financially and have an ideal for what I wanted my life to look like moving forward and have an idea of like, okay, well, how do I do those things? You know, and today, I mean, for me, that means, you know, driving a old car that I love. My car is great. You know, I don't care because I'm able to do other things financially uh, that are important to me. So it kind of shifted my ideals about my life entirely through making amends um, and getting right with people and with my higher power, with God. I feel like I'm yeah. I'm in that place where I'm like, OK, I can do this. I can handle this. Yeah. It's it's definitely where true freedom come from comes from when we're when we when we make some of those amends and just by being willing to do it, um, we do we do get right with ourselves and right with other people and and right with God, and it really opens up. I mean, you got like a free a completely free runway for life once we get there. It's unlimited. Um, what a person can do or, or not do depending on, you know, what they, what, what they like. Well, it's um, amazing. Like I don't feel this pressure to pretend like I like anything, a certain brand of yeah. clothes, a certain car, or anything. It just doesn't matter to me. I'm like, I don't like that. And that's okay. I'm glad you do. I'm moving along. You know, yeah. I know who I am. Yeah. There's some truth. Well, it's a true statement by finding God, you find yourself. Yes. Yeah. And um, let's, uh, 
let's move on to 10, 11, and 12. So if we've, if we've made amends or if we've gotten to step nine and we've, we've in the process of making amends, the book says we've ceased fighting anything or anybody. We've ceased fighting alcohol. Hopefully we've ceased fighting ourselves. And um, how do we maintain that? I guess that's 10, 11, and 12. What's your experience on that, Joyce? Rough road. That's my experience. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> um, probably didn't bastardize more steps than, I mean, worse than this, these three. Um, yeah. You know, with step 10, I mean, I kind of grew up in a really regimented home group and sponsorship. So um, also use that for what my sponsor day calls navel gazing. You know, I mean, you can really get super granular and hyper obsessed with self and writing everything down. I mean, I used to, my early sobriety would like walk around, she would with, a <laughs> I would walk around <laughs> with, a, with a notebook and, um, you know, just jot things down and then just have these massive lists from my sponsor at the time or these obsessive emails about just every bad feeling that I had. And, and it was just so not in the spirit of the 10 step, you know, I mean, it's supposed to be just promptly admitting where and, and, and really just, you know, this, that four by four, where am I selfish, dishonest, resentful, afraid, and I, you know, talk about it, pray about it, make amends where I need to, and, and resolutely turn outward and help others. You know, if I could say, I just did miss the simplicity and the specific directions that were in there um, and really just made it more about me than anything else and trying to fix me. I mean, um, I was like a, a parasite at the time that would just attach myself to anybody that was well and to fix me, you know, save me, um, help me see more about myself and more truth. And, you know, um, it just missed the boat on that. But I mean, those disciplines of, of, of taking a written inventory did help, I guess, for my earlier sobriety. But now it's just much more in the, in the, in the spirit of it than the letter of it. You know, now it's I know um, the things that I need to check in with my sponsor on. Um, regularly and or with my friends on this path that I can be accountable to of how and just really I mean throughout my day if I if I've um, have been rude or argumentative or dishonest in a way of really just trying to be honest in the spot and, and cleaning it cleaning it up right away you know I don't need to wait for the stuff to build up to take another fourth step I could just take care of it here and now um, with the 11th step I I mean, um, you know, it's something that I'm grateful for that was instilled to me in my early sobriety of the regiment of reading in the morning and, and praying morning and night. And, you know, um, it's a practice that I have, you know, knock on wood, been able to be consistent with meditation, not so much more wildly inconsistent. I mean, I went through phases with my old sponsor where we would do long sits and meditation retreats, like just like with alcoholics. I mean, just like, you know, so intense for a period of time and then putters out. I mean, it's just, um, but really, I think in the spirit of the 11th step, really just getting quiet every morning and trying to align my will with God's will, you know, that when I wake up in the morning, I'm usually filled with so much fear and self, like right out of the gate that I'm glad that I have been able to, you know, um, been taught to take that time out in the morning to get centered, you know, before I start my day. And I could do a lot better with reminding myself or, you know, praying throughout the day as the insanity of the day goes from one battle to the next. Um, but, you know, and at night when I retire, you know, hitting my knees again and, and praying for forgiveness and, and reflecting on my day, you know, that's something that I've incorporated into 
my daily practice. But, you know, some days my heart's in it. Other days it's just rote and, you know, I go yep. through the motions. Um, but I, you know, definitely regardless, I know that the, the actions matter. And with the 12 step, like I alluded to earlier, I mean, this is, uh, I, I missed the boat on this, you know, I thought that it was just about sponsorship. I thought it was just about having some sort of canned, I don't know, some canned talk or talking a lot. And it just miss the spirit of really caring and being effective in that and just carrying a message. Um, you know, I did everything wrong where it taught in the chapter working with others. I mean, I would take people hostage. I would be <laughs> territorial. It was about control and domination versus really sharing from my experience, you know? Um, and I got sick and they got sick and it just, it, it's not what I think Bill was trying to implore us to do, you know, and now I realize the much greater demonstration, like it says in the book is in all our, you know, and how I practice this, how I actually uh -huh. practice it outside of the meeting when no one's watching, um, you know, how do I practice with all of God's kids that it's really easy to be tender and patient with the newcomer at the meeting when I have an audience, you know, but how am I out there in the world with my coworker, you know, who's getting on my nerves or my, my, my dad, who I still, you know, have a remnant resentments coming up and, and down with. And, and so, you know, really trying to take a look at that and, um, and really trying to um, stay small in Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, I feel like in the last several years, like purposefully trying to, and Jerry, you know, Jerry and I have had many discussions about this, about, you know, being an example, you know, and it's something that I've struggled with is that, you know, trying to be an ex a quiet example of this versus trying to be vocal, trying to be a leader, trying to be important, trying to um, be an authority on it, you know, and, uh, and what is more effective. And so I know that the way that I have tried to carry this message has definitely evolved and changed throughout the years. Um, and you know, still seeking on how to do that effectively. Uh -huh. So let me ask you a question. Maybe a question for all of us, but um, so have you have you found? You mentioned the last couple of years. You know, that we've not been able to go to meetings or something like that, and th how things have changed. So have you noticed over the last, I'll say three years, personally more of having to depend on a power greater than yourself and, and moving away from some of these like ritualistic things that we've, that we hear in the program that maybe we did for a number of years, but now we realize that maybe they're not, they're not necessary. Absolutely. I mean, that's very well put. I think that's exactly what happened in the last couple of years is that the structure dogma or reliance on groups and people, you know, just weren't there. So then that safety yeah. net's pulled and people were forced to look at, including myself, you know, what do I really believe in? You know, what, yeah. who am I really accountable to? Yeah, it can be scary when it first happens, but it, it, I think, I think for many of it's, it's actually helped to build confidence and to build faith in, uh, in, a, in a power greater than ourselves. And for me, it's, it's, it has, it's, it has actually simplified my, 
my thinking and, and a lot of what I do now and even my, you know, just, just thoughts and actions on things. So Shank, I don't know if you got any thoughts on any of that. I totally agree. I mean, it just takes me back to when I did not have the privileges of, of picking up the phone and calling someone, you know, and I put myself in that position, you know, I, I couldn't just call someone. I, all I had really was the book of Alcoholics Anonymous and a lot of free time. Um, so really it just took me back because for so long, I thought I missed out on so much in Alcoholics Anonymous because I couldn't do all these things I heard other people talking about. And then for years, I was kind of like in that dogma mentality of like, this is the way it's done. This is how it needs to be done. You know, I mean, I'm embarrassed to say, I'm shameful to say that there have definitely been times with sponsees that I have been in like arguments, you know, with sponsees about like, you're not doing this right. Or why did you do that? Or you went to that meeting, it sucks or whatever the case may be. Now, I don't think I have the power to get people sober or drunk, but um, it definitely took me back to that time where it's like, you know, I was very, I was probably the closest in my relationship with God as I've ever been in the time I was incarcerated. And I feel like I've really gotten back to that in the last several years of just allowing this other stuff to fall away. And yeah. it meant for me finding a group that was meeting in person you know, to kind of have that connection with people, but to realize that all the extra little crap that I was doing and perpetuating and thought was a great idea just was not necessary. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. 10 and 11 and 12 that are, I mean, they all talk about reliance on a power greater than ourselves. I mean, in 10, we learn to go to God first, right? In 11, we're praying to God to improve our contact and we're praying for power. Um, and you know, 12 is where we we basically stand up and take our place in society and try to practice this everywhere we go and try to be living examples. So um, powerful stuff. I think we're up on meeting shrapnel. I think Joyce, we're here. We appreciate your uh, your experience and summary of those steps. It was, it was, it was yeah, you were very concise in your answers, and I appreciate that. It was yeah, just we, very clear. We, we appreciate that. So now we're up on meeting shrapnel. So get ready. All right. <laughs> Shank, what's our first one? All right. Meeting shrapnel number one. AA will give you a life beyond your wildest dreams. No. <laughs> what do you think, Joyce? That's terrible. Um, I just, you know, I think it's really, really terrible. I mean, I just, you know, I have a lot of wild dreams, still do, you know, I mean, left to my own devices, satisfy uh, my ego and greed. And um, AA is not some sort of uh, wish factory, you know, it, I actually, it's a point of contention that I have around here, honestly. I mean, you know, that, that there's some sort of assurances that a is going to provide some sort of material, you know, output is just false. You know, I mean, A is just a spiritual life. And my, the only thing that it promises is that I'm going to have a respite from this, from this spiritual illness and um, trying to sell anybody on anything else. I feel like it's, it's false advertisement. Wow. I don't think we need to say anything else on that. That, that, that nailed that one. Although, um, 
So I heard somebody say this this past weekend. They gave a talk and they said it. And of course, I've heard it for years. But my first thought was always, well, they've never been in my dreams. If they, th- if they, <laughs> if they really, if they really think this is going to be beyond my wildest dreams, they've never been in my dreams. But it's, um, yeah, it's false advertising. Is a good way to put it. Yeah, I don't like it. Shank. You like it? I mean, this all, I can relate anything back to what I'm about to say, but it just reminds me of people who were like, you know, I had 25 felonies and then I started working the steps and they all went away. And, or, you know, people who were like, I wanted, you know, a husband and a house and a this and a that. And I got sober and I got all of those things. And it's like, I mean, okay, but that's not what AA is, Yeah. you know? Um, so yeah. I have an amazing life today, but yeah, we got my good wildest life. dreams. I've had a lot yeah. of bad times too. I will have you know, sure. I've had a lot of bad times in sobriety. My first year, I mean, I would say that that wasn't ideal. Yeah, yeah, it, it does imply, and we do this a lot in AA and just regular meetings. It does imply, hey, just do the right thing, and nothing but good things are going to happen. It's just, it's just not true. I mean, it's just not true. So. Joyce, you're going to keep it or scrap it? i scrap that one. All right, I'm going to scrap it. Shank? It's out of here. All right. I'm glad to see that one go. What's the next one, Shank? All right, meeting shrapnel number two. Keep coming back. That doesn't offend me, you know? Keep I mean, coming back. That doesn't offend me. And Jerry's been to my old home group, and that was, you know, chanted, I think, when, for a long time, for years and years, when people picked up uh, one-day chips. And, you know, it doesn't offend me. I feel like that doesn't, um, I don't think it's any bad messaging. You know, I hope that people do continue to come back in their dark times and, and shoot their days. But I'm, I'm the encouragement to come back. I think, you know, helps because sometimes it's, it's, it can feel like a very unwelcoming place, Alcoholics Anonymous, when my head's against me and I feel like everyone's against me and this is no longer home. So, you know, I, uh, whether it has any real depth and weight, not quite sure, but I don't think it, it has caused any harm. What do you think, Jay Wayne? Well, it, um, if you never leave, you don't have to come back. <laughs> now I know that's a that's not a real probably good statement either. I I don't I don't I don't know. I mean I I don't like the chant at the end of the prayer or at the end of the meeting. Keep coming back. It works if you work it because you're worth it. Um, or you know whatever that was. Um, keep coming back. Uh, a friend of ours used to say, just stay, right? Stay. Um, but it's another one of those, it's just, it's just kind of a, to me, it's just a silly little chant that I don't think it hurts anybody, but I don't, I don't think it's very helpful either. So, Shank? This is one of those ones where, and I think that I've really been into this uh, lately is 
It's like, okay, keep coming back, sure. But it's on the members of Alcoholics Anonymous at these meetings who are recovered, who have worked all 12 steps, um, or who haven't worked all of them yet. It is up to us to explain to people what that means. Like, why? Yeah. You know, right. come back, okay, why? Just sit here and I'll get sober somehow. Um, I don't think it's helpful when it's just, I've been to some meetings where they say it and I'm like, no, thank you. <laughs> come back right. here. Um, but I do think that it's up to the AA members, especially those of us who are recovered. You know, I'm not cured, but I can explain to, I see people that I don't know and I can go up and talk to them and just say, hey, you know, here's kind of what we do here. I'm not gonna tell you you're an alcoholic. Here's some chapters right. in the book you can read to, to decide that for yourself. Um, yeah. And I'll help you. I'm willing to help you if you need help. So I don't know. Yeah. The other thing about it now, I know this is this is a little extreme. Um. Well, I'm not even going to say it. Never mind. I, <laughs> Come on, Jerry, say it. No, I, I'm I'm going to move on past it. Yeah. So are we going? So what do you want to do? Back? I'm I'm on the you I'm neutral get... on it, huh? Okay. I, yeah. I mean, I would I'd be in favor of scrapping it, but I, I'm notorious for scrapping stuff. <laughs> what do you think, Joyce? I, I mean, I, I like keeping it. I I agree that prayer should be ended with Amen. I don't like the chance after the prayer, so I'll put that caveat, but. If that AA slogan's up on a sign at a meeting, that doesn't offend me. I like it. We're making like caveats here to the why we're keeping it. You know, of course we have to have the rules and regulations. If we're going to keep something, there's going to be a reason. <laughs> well, Shank, what do you think? I like that. Um, well, I just I'd scrap it. I don't mind it, but I yeah. I'm. I rarely hear anyone just say keep coming back. It's usually keep coming back. It works if you work it. Blah, 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 yeah. Whatever, whatever. The, yeah, I'm talking myself out of it because that, that one other thing. This is different. It kind of implies that AA is the meeting, and that mm -hmm. you, that you're coming back to the meeting. The meeting's not all of AA. It's just a very small part of what AA is. AA is a way of life, and so I'm going to. Uh, I think I'm going to scrap it. Shank, you got the final word. I'm scrapping it. It's out of here. All right. What, uh, what's the last one? All right. Our last meeting shrapnel for today is time takes time. <laughs> Where does this stuff come from? This helped me when I was new, I will say. Julius! I'm sorry, this is my experience. The caller would have made, but you know, it was, I was, you know, my sponsor called me a spiritual thief and I wanted to just hijack people's experiences and stories and wellness and um, without earning it through the work and the sacrifice that's required here, you know? And so I couldn't become an old timer, you know what I mean? Like I just couldn't, um, steal that. You can't fake that. You know, you could pair it around here all you want and learn the words, which alcoholics are very good at. You know, we're great mm -hmm. mimickers. Right. 
But to really experience it, it takes time to really develop and cultivate my own experiences. It took time, you know, and for someone like me who wanted the shortcut, who wanted the graduation, who wanted the finish line immediately, you know, old timers tell me that time takes time was a short way. And I, and I, you know, I will preface this with all the meat and shrapnel and these slogans is that it's a shorthand way. Obviously, there's context and mm -hmm. explanations behind it. But the shorthand of saying that to tell me to shut up and just <laughs> let, let, you know, to have the experience and stop trying to steal other people's was time takes time. Hmm. You well, might have sold me. You might have sold me on that one there. Your, your, your skills are pretty good. Um, but I don't know. It, it kind of reminds me of, I mean, of course, time takes time. It's so obvious. Today is reminds, a day. <laughs> yeah, it kind of reminds me of every day is a day. Or, every day um, is a day. The, the um, you don't know what you don't know. You mm -hmm. know? Well, yeah, obviously. Or you'll hear people say, Jerry don't know what Jerry don't know. <laughs> um, but you remember those things, and that's the key. As stupid and as silly as it is, these are the little sound bites that you don't forget. All right, time takes time. Um, I'm going to consider it. Shank? I don't really know that I've heard this one out in the wild really i don't you know need to that go to I some have. More club you need to go to some more clubhouses well that's the thing is like i was so new <laughs> or newly i guess out of prison when i was going to some of the clubhouses that all i remember really is i went to this one meeting and they were all chanting the steps together and i didn't know the steps um, so anywhere that did any like chanting together or saying things together or like kitschy little things like that, I was like, I'm not going back there. So that's probably where they were saying time takes time. I get it. I, under I understand time takes time. If I use it um, the way Joyce described, instead of telling people to like shut their mouth or whatever, then I may start using it that way. Are you going to start using it? Maybe. And people are just saying a bunch of irritating stuff and I'll be like, well, listen, time takes time, you know? Time <laughs> takes time. It does sound like something an old timer would say. It does. Yeah, uh, I'm not gonna say it, I don't think. You might. Joyce, I'm gonna keep you posted. He'll probably say it tomorrow. I might, I might, mm -hmm. I'm gonna start saying it. Yeah, I'll probably start saying it. So, Joyce, what do you wanna do? I'll keep it. Keep it? Jerry, what do you want to do? Oh. Uh, I'll keep it. Wow. All right, we're keeping it. She sold Time me, Shank. What do you want to do? We're keeping it. All right. Time takes time. So start saying it to yourself. They don't need to say that. <laughs> Go to Jerry's home group and say it, please. Just keep reminding yourself time takes time. And you don't know what you don't know. Joyce, we appreciate you uh, coming on and sharing your experience with us. Thanks for having it's, me. Yeah, it's been a, a great wrap up to the 12 steps and uh, a good summary. So we uh, we appreciate that. Remember, if... Um, you got suggestions on topics for season two, email them to us and also vote on whether you want to keep 
the time to call your sponsor is before you take a drink, not after. And uh, this is going to be a wrap. And remember, we're free. Freedom. Thanks for listening. If you have a comment, suggestion, or just need help, you can email Shank and Wayne at freedom at alcoholicsalive.com. Remember, we're recovered members of Alcoholics Anonymous, but we do not speak for Alcoholics Anonymous, nor do we get paid. Join us next week for another great episode. Thank you.